0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com.
1: Let's uh, start with uh, just some prayer. Father, thank you for your grace in making yourself known to us. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed not just who you are, but your purpose to us in this world—you want us to know you by those acts, by what you accomplish. Lord, I pray that as we approach um, almost the almost the end of this book, that we would be able to walk away saying we're closer to you because of the work of your Son in the beauty of your gospel, Lord. And I need your spirit to be the one who enlivens our hearts and gives us a sense of who you are uh, as we walk through um, just your word. So I pray that you would do that for us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So as I mentioned, we're uh, towards the end of our series here on the book of Hebrews. Um, I appreciated Kent's analogy of a flyover um, with some, like, laser-guided bombs. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's, uh does, like, security in the Air Force. I don't even want to, like, misspeak. But, like, he's like, I can tell you about these kinds of things because you can find out about that on the Internet, but I can't tell you about all the things that I do. Um, but, yeah, he's very much into, like... Missile defense, security of our country mindset, because that's what he does for a living. <laughs> so, um, so we're we're being, kind of going through the Book of Hebrews, big chunks at a time, and we are sort of doing like a flyover, uh, and then kind of hitting important pieces as we work through the Book of Hebrews. And, and sort of the maybe the big concept that we've tried to wrap around this whole sermon series is that our our this idea of our confidence. Um, uh comes in the, the picture uh, that was up there. has It says it's an anchor for our soul. So this idea that what Jesus has done, who he is, how God is working in history, all of those things is where we root our confidence. And so over the last couple of chapters, we sort of wrapped up what it means for Jesus to be a priest uh, and then jumped into those uh, in history, those who... Uh, sort of all through the biblical narrative have trusted in what God is doing, even though they couldn't see what he was actually accomplishing. And that was sort of the hall of faith. You know, if you've been around church circles, that's a a chapter that comes up a lot, but that's sort of what Kent went through last week. So these are all people that have sort of put their trust in God and and, and were putting their, their confidence in something that was beyond what they could see or experience in the moment. And so after we get through that part of the book of Hebrews, we have these last two chapters, uh, and Ben has to preach on the chapter that's like literally the giant list of to-dos, and he's very excited about that. <laughs> so um, he said it's a very practical chapter, uh, but, but which is sort of uh, uh, not uncommon in Scripture. Before we get to those lists of to-dos, there's, there's a, a chapter that's almost summarizing what God is doing. There's a chapter that's saying, this is God's purpose. This is, this is where you can have your confidence. This is where you can root everything in so that then when we get to some of those to-dos in the next section, that, we'll, that you'll, ha- you'll have a, a ground or, or fertile soil, so to speak, to, to plant yourself in. Uh, to, to bear fruit as you, as you go out, as the, as the book of Hebrews ends. And so I thought a really good way to sum it up, even for this chapter, is that the purpose of God is, is peace. The purpose of God is peace. And hopefully that will make a little more sense as we work through the chapter here. And there's a lot of ways to, to sort of summarize this. So I'm not, when I say, right, this morning, God's purpose is peace. I don't mean to say he has no other purposes. Um, you could say God's purpose is to bring about the new creation. I think it's an appropriate way to talk about that. You could say that God's purpose is redemption. It's a, another word that we talk about for rescuing his people and bringing them into his presence and, and wiping away every tear. So there's a, there's a lot of ways you can sort of describe God's purpose. Um, but I thought this this word peace comes up a couple of times in our chapters, and I thought it'd be like a good summary word to talk about God's purpose. And before we jump into the, the passage, uh, I have a video, and we tried it like four times this morning, and two of the four times it worked. Um, so, so yeah, so, we're, so I'm going to play a video because I think we have uh, maybe not the best understanding of what the word peace means. And I thought this video was a really good video from the Bible Project folks. Um, They're really good at making these kinds of things. And it's only like three and a half minutes. And I think it gives us a a really good understanding of what I mean when I say God's purpose is peace. So if you want to play the, the video.
0: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex, with lots of pieces, that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex. Full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic (laughs) meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of Shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of Shalom, and his reign would bring Shalom with no end, a time when God would make a covenant of Shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all the broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of a Remember, that's the Greek word, Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our heirate. He was the whole complete human that I made to be, but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work. Because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace.
1: Hopefully that uh, expanded our understanding of the idea of peace a little bit. Um, And it's cool because they visualize it and make it a little easier to follow along. So we're gonna go through the passage this morning and uh, we're not gonna be able to hit every little detail in all of those verses. Um, try to keep the sermon within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, but I, I do wanna kind of hit on three major things where if God's purpose is peace, um, shalom or arene, um if God's purpose is peace or wellness or, or wholeness or completeness, um, I think that shows up in this passage in a few ways. Talk about our, our inward peace. And I say, when I say our, I mean like uh, the, the, the church family, God's people, our, our peace. Uh, and also what God calls us to, to create outward peace. So he doesn't just draw people to himself. He, he sends us out in the community so that together we can actually bring peace. We can bring wholeness We can be completeness to those around us in a, uh, in some, in a, in sometimes in a, in a really wonderful way, sometimes in limited ways. And then ultimately we're going to kind of end hopefully with something encouraging is that the the story of God is that eternal, complete, forever peace uh, is already something that's secured, already something that we can be confident in, already something that we can look forward to and be thankful for. So let's just jump in um, and talk about talk about our inward peace. Look at verse three. I'm going to be in chapter 12 uh, pretty much the whole time. I try to get the verses uh, right on my slides, but sometimes I read a verse that I don't have up there or, or jump around. So if you're just in your Bibles, it'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, and we'll start in verse three. We're talking about Jesus here. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you might ask, well, what does that have to do with peace? And I think the the, the best way to think about it is when we the, the little image of the wall that's complete. Or I liked how they had like a, a neighborhood and a, a wall around it. And uh, life is a, a, a complex series of parts uh, that, it, that don't always work together so well. Uh, like it, that's, that's almost like a, a duh statement, whether I'm at work, whether I'm in a relationship, whether there's just sort of broken things that are in the world, the, the complexities of life make it so we don't have that kind of peace. And it's not just the complexities of life, it's sin. Sin is the reality. If sin is, if God's purpose is peace, the thing that's working against that in all of our lives is sin. That can be my sin. That can be sin from people to community. It can be sin that he experienced outside of work. That can be the result of sin and even just the brokenness of creation. Sin is what keeps peace from coming complete. Sin is what actually keeps us from enjoying the the shalom or the peace that God is aiming for. And he knows that, so he says, consider Jesus. In verse three, he says, consider Jesus. He had to deal with sin. We we know he did it, and we want to use his life not uh, yes, he died for us, and we talked about how as our priest, he's the one that brings us to God, but he is also an example for us. He's saying, let's look at Jesus' life. In Jesus' life, he had to deal with sin, and I want you to look at Jesus' life so you do not grow weary in the, in the so many aspects of our life that don't have peace. Because you can see what Jesus went through, you can see how he suffered, but we just spent the last three or four chapters talking about how he's been risen again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He, he is our perfect priest who is intending to bring all his people into the presence of God. He's, he's sitting on the heavenly throne, making every enemy his footstool. Jesus went through suffering and, and dealt with sin, but it wasn't for nothing, it was so that he could be raised up again and sit in the heavenly places. And he's saying, as you wrestle with all the broken things in the world, as you wrestle with the sin that's in you, the sin that's outside, the sin that's in the workplace, or as you wrestle with all the broken things in the world, look at your Savior who did the same thing, who dealt with the suffering and then was raised up on the third day in glory. He's like, remember what he went through so that as you're wrestling with your I say your, but our as a family, if you're wrestling with our inward peace, know that sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's painful. It was painful for Jesus. It's going to be painful for us at times. And he kind of jumps into that when he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit in verse 11. He's talking about the painful things that we have to experience because of the sin that's inside of us, because of the the sin that's all around us, because of the brokenness in a sinful world. In verse 11, he says, for the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful, that's our word, arene, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And he, 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 he goes to compare discipline that we have with our earthly fathers, um, but he's trying to make the point, he's trying to make the point that even though you and I are struggling with sin in the world, my sin, your sin, the broken things around us. God is actually using all of those things for a purpose.
0: Yes Lord
1: God is, God is actually using all of those things as a purpose, for a purpose. and he, he kind of he says he says, Do you, "Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, and maybe you're, uh, sometimes your Bible has a little asterisk that says sons and daughters. And it's easy to sort of gloss over that, but it's a really important reality to consider, it's a, it's a super important reality to consider. God is saying that the, those of us who are in his family, who have our own sin, who deal with sin, he's saying the good news that you, because of what Jesus has done, you are united to him in a way that makes the creator of the universe your loving, compassionate, caring, heavenly father.
0: Amen.
1: You're one of his children. He loves and cares for you more than any of the parents love and care for their little kids in our community, which they're cute and so they're easy to love. But, but the, the idea is that, that you are dealing with difficult things in the world. You're dealing with the, the actual result of sin in the world and you're suffering. But this is not suffering without a purpose. This is suffering that's carefully crafted as loving and compassionate discipline for all of the children that he loves. That's why it says, consider Jesus. Jesus. The, the, the sky ripped open and God said from the heavens, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased.
0: Amen.
1: And it was the same loving father that brought Jesus through his life, through his suffering and dealing with sin. It's the same uh, disposition that God had for Jesus who did everything perfect is the exact same disposition he has for you. He brings those difficult things He brings those difficult things in your life because it's loving and kind discipline that he wants to bring because his purpose is to create peace for you. Look at what it says. For the moment, all, in verse 11, all the discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, fair, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If sin is what's destroying our shalom, our peace, if sin is what's making everything not complete, God's graciously bringing difficulties into our lives to produce righteousness in us, to make us more whole, to make us well. And he's saying that I'm doing this on purpose so that you are the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I was trying to think of just some examples of that um, in my own life where God has done those things. And uh, I was, I think it's, there's, there's there's you know, when you've been a Christian for a while, it's good to get into a habit of, of, of looking back and reflecting on how God has worked in your life through your suffering to bring you out on the other side and give you more peace. To make you more whole, to make you more complete, and I think there's in, in our lives there's everything from the sort of um, just difficult things like working graveyard shifts for a long period of time and not being able to be connected to anyone uh, that was just difficult part of my life uh, to things that are that are more tragic the things that are just um, super painful um, because of because of the result of the fall and it <laughs> It kind of, we were talking about this, me and Bridget were talking about this, and she's like, well, how, how do we know that these difficult things in our life, how do we know that those, how do we, what do we hold on to to make those things actually produce the peace in, in us? And I, in the verse, it actually says, it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it because we all suffer in one way, shape, or form. So what does it mean to be trained by it? How am I trained by these things? And I I almost wanted to um, re-go back through everything in chapter 10, but I'm not going to do that. Um, he encourages us when he talks about the the wonder and the beauty of what God is doing. He's saying, there's there's things that you can do in light of what of what God has done. So if Jesus is our priest and he's sitting up in heaven and he's, he's interceding for us on, on behalf and he's, he wants to draw us into the Father's presence, the, he, he's kind of walked through all of this and he's saying, for those of us who are suffering, there are things that we can do. He says, you can draw near to God. Because of what Jesus has done, you can actually draw near to God himself. And I was talking to Nether uh, even this morning and she was like, and sometimes just between this class and this class and i don't have the lesson plan done and i'm i'm thinking about the next class and i'm just like lord you're going to have to you're going to have to help me out with like in the next 10 minutes because i, I am not sufficient in this moment and that's a one, that's a great example sometimes just drawing near to god is considering him in the moment and saying i'm insufficient i need your help <laughs> I can't do this on my own. And, and the, it's little moments like that where God uses those things to train us so that we produce righteousness. And I love how it says later. You know, this isn't like a, like an instant thing that all of a sudden generates righteousness in us. This is, this is something that, that over time, God generates holiness in us and righteousness. And we have that peace. We have that wholeness. We have that completeness. So, so you can draw near to the throne of God.
0: Yes, Lord.
1: Another thing he says is have, hold fast the confidence that we have. He's like, you can draw near to God because you believe what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing things today. Jesus forgave us, uh, who, we're forgiven of our sins because of what Jesus has done in the past. And Jesus has guaranteed us stuff in the future. So sometimes, sometimes just being trained by our suffering is remembering who God is and what he's doing. And just taking some time to consider those things. So that's the training that produces this wholeness, that produces this peace, that transforms us. God is making us holy together as a community. He's making us holy so that we can be more complete and have peace and joy in the very presence of God himself. Amen. This is the purpose of God. He is aiming for peace for his people. And it doesn't just in there. He wants to do something with us. He wants that peace to, to flow outward into the communities around us. Look at the next verse in verse 12. It says, therefore, all these things I've, I've, I've kind of discussed and, and told you that I'm, I'm creating this inward peace in you. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. It's a straight path for your feet. It's just a, a way of saying, uh, walk or have a have the manner of your life reflect the wisdom and, and character of God. It's a it's a, a path for your feet, or something that's all over the book of Proverbs. As God transforms us, as God gives us this inner peace, He's saying, Go and, and act in a way that's consistent with God's character. So, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Saying, I'm, I'm I'm doing this inward peace in you as a community, so that you can move forward in your life, so that you can actually have a, uh, you can you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You can actually heal those around you and create peace where I've put you. You can actually have, uh, be instruments of 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 the shalom, of putting everything together with people who are around you. It says in verse 14, kind of makes a, a summary here. He says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. And I think when, when, you know, when that word, before maybe watching that video or even thinking about this word as it works through scripture, um, that's like strive for peace with everyone. Um, no one's mad at me, <laughs> done. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there are people all around you that don't feel well or don't feel complete. There are people all around you that are broken. And I'm generating this peace with you so that you can be an instrument for creating wholeness and wellness with all of those around you.
0: Yes, Lord.
1: To strive for peace with everyone, and there's you know our in our gospel communities, we try really hard to do a specific way to serve those around us. Not just uh, our church values inward and outward love. So we, as a as a as a gospel community, uh, we don't want to just be uh, serving in family with each other. Uh, we don't want to just proclaim the gospel uh, just to each other. We want we want the love that we have felt to go outward, and so we try really hard to just intentionally do things like this. Um, a couple of our GCs have partnered with Bridge of Hope. Um, I mean, like half the people in this room are probably like involved in that in some way, shape, or form, and it's just a, all it is is a way to bring peace to those outside the community. It, it's a it's an organization that that helps. Near homeless or homeless single mothers have more completeness, more wholeness. So the organization gives them a home for a period of time, uh, helps them get a job, helps them have savings, helps them like think through different programs, or whether it's with their children or, or with uh, their own career. And they say part of having, you know, they don't use this language, but part of having peace is to have a, a network of a community. And so they partner with groups to just be neighbors and to be friends with these single moms. That's just, a, that's just a way in which the community can go out and actually bring peace, bring more wholeness, bring more completeness with those around us. And I think that we do these sort of intentional things because we're, we're almost just trying to say, hey, this is, this is a, a really good, clear way to draw attention to how, how we can show outward love to those around us. But you don't have to be involved in some nonprofit to bring completeness, to bring wholeness to those around you. God has actually placed each and every one of you in a place with other people. That could be at work, that could be at the coffee shop you visit all the time, the brewery, that could be someone who lives next door. We should know as believers that sin has affected every part of the world. God has placed you particularly in a place with people and said, I'm working among you to transform you, to bring you peace so that you could also strive for peace with everyone else. So that you could strive for peace for everyone else. So, where has God put you that you can contribute to the wholeness or the completeness of others? Where has God placed you so as He works peace in us, you can work peace in those around you? And for most of you, you're part of a gospel community. Where has God placed your group? It's not a Lone Ranger project. We do this together. Where has God placed us that we can strive for completeness and wholeness and peace with those around us? If you have been involved with serving anyone around you intentionally, around around seeing God transform you and draw you closer to him and leaning into the place that God has put you, you know that can be really difficult. Um, and, and maybe even not feel like you can get very far. It's hard not to think about the, you know, many homeless people that have sort of come into our community and been served by us. You know, Cole's been here the longest, so he probably has like a, a list of some of them coming in and out. It's difficult. And you see, you see, because of sin, whether it's theirs or the or the the culture around that's broken, or because of our sin, they're they're not whole, they're not complete. And you and you want more for them. And you can't always you can't always see God how that works and and does all that through. And it can be it can be really difficult. Which is why I think that the author of Hebrews sort of ends before he gets into like calling us forward and the things that we should do in the sermon that Ben's going to preach in chapter 13. He gives us a story. He tells us essentially the whole story of what God is going to accomplish because he doesn't want our confidence and our ability to produce peace and wholeness in those around us to be in ourselves. You can no more produce peace in the world than you can do it in, in your own heart and mind. And so God is giving us sort of a, a picture He's telling us a a really encouraging reality of the fact that he is bringing in eternal peace. He is the one who's already planned out all of history. And he wants your confidence that this peace that we desire, that we strive for, is something that's going to happen because of everything that God does. He's the one that brings the eternal peace. He uses us and he works peace in us. But at the end of the day, he's the one that brings this eternal peace. Look at what he says in in verse 18. This comes from one of my favorite Bible stories. He says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom in a tempest, which is like a whirling wind. We have a little bit of a tempest out there. It's probably not a tempest, but it's sound. You can hear the wind. Don't want to undersell what that word means. Um, And the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. And he's pulling from Exodus 19. And I really like this Bible story because the people want to hear from God. The people want to hear from God. And they're pulled out of Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai and, and, and they're told to approach God And there's this crazy story. I can't help, like just, it's it's just like, it's almost like picturing like a volcano exploding, like fire and smoke and and the earth is shaking. And and they hear the voice of God come out of the mountain to God's people, the same people that he rescued. And they're like, Moses, how about you do the rest of the conversation? (laughs) Like what he spoke to us is terrifying. The, the, The fact that God would speak directly to us in this situation, I can't even handle that. And God said, I want you to, they had to go through this whole ritual cleansing so they could even approach the mountain. And they said, if you don't go through that cleansing, you or an animal touches the mountain because you're approaching a holy God, death. So this is is what God did in the past. This is how God worked with his people at the mountain. And and he talks about Moses earlier in Hebrews. And I love what he says, just kind of almost like a side note. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He was legit, talked to God and said, approaching God was very scary. There isn't really a lot of peace there. And he's trying to tell us, as he he walks through this story, we can go back into the other chapters in Hebrews and say, there were things there in the sacrificial system. There were things there in the priesthood that were pointing us towards something that was greater. God, even back then, was accomplishing his purpose so that you and I would know there was a day of eternal peace that was coming. And so he goes on and kind of, he goes from what was happening back then to what is happening right now. Look at verse 22. But you today have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is a bigger deal than Moses at the flaming, shaking mountain. He's saying, Today I have already accomplished some of these things in Christ Jesus. And he gives us like a list of, of what he's doing. He so in Christ, we have actually come to this, this heavenly reality. We've come to the not just a, a shadow. We talked about how the, the temple was just sort of like a shadow of something that was that was cosmic, that was eternal, that was that was had its scope over all of creation. And so now that Jesus is in the heavenly Jerusalem in Christ. Because he's our priest, you and I experience that in some way. You and I have access to that. He said, you've come to that, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to all of the angels of God in the the heavenly temple, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. It's, It's almost like this idea that all of God's people throughout all of time in, in, the, in the entire church, when, when God is talking to Moses and saying, or talking to Abraham, and he's saying, your people will be like the stars in the sky. He's saying, because of what Jesus has accomplished, when we go to the heavenly throne room, when we, when we plead with God to, to transform us, to give us peace, to give us wholeness, with, we've yes. done that. We've come to that position with every single one of God's children through all time in this heavenly place. And to God, we've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Talking about the, those of us who have suffered and passed through and who are now with Christ seated in the heavenly places. So we have all of the church from all time, we have all of God's angels. We have every single believer who has dealt with the suffering and the sin and is now standing before Jesus and every tears and wiped away from their eyes. This is what we've come to when we approach God. So says, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel was killed, and his blood cried out to the Lord that there was injustice. And he's kind of connecting that to when they came close to the temple and they, they ratified the covenant, they sprinkled blood on all the people. think Ben said, we, we, get, we forget how bloody some of the things were. But now we have a new covenant with better blood. We have a savior who is once for all, once for all time, perfected Amen. those whom he's died for. Eternal peace. The fact that we see people who are not complete. We see ourselves as we suffer and we, and we struggle with this lack of peace, this lack of wellness, this lack of, of wholeness and who we are because of sin in this world. He's saying because of everything that Jesus has done, Because of his blood, the reality that we would have peace, eternal peace is already secured. It's already secured. All of God's children enrolled in heaven have in some sense already been perfected. So as you and I strive to make peace with those around us, as you as, and I lean into people who are suffering and, and want to see them made whole, want to see them made complete, and, we don't, and, and we're struggling and we, we see it fail so often or we, we don't see this reality that, 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 we, that we strive for, that we want because there's so many broken, messed up things in the world. He's saying, remember that God has actually secured all of this. He's secured all of this so that you can be certain so that you can be sure that eternal peace is gonna happen because of the work of Jesus Christ. And he looks forward. Verse 26. He says, at that time, his voice shook the earth as he looks forward, or sorry, at that time, his voice shook the earth when he's talking about the mountain in the past, the voice that they were scared of. The voice has said, Moses, you can talk to him about the rest of this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things cannot be shaken may remain. He's talking about this reality of what God has accomplished. He's talking about the, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about the eternal peace. He's talking about, uh, uh, he's, later he says, it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So as, as God works peace in us together, and we work peace and strive for peace, we're striving for peace with those around us. He's saying there is going to be a day in the future When all of those things in the world that are just not certain, that are just broken, that don't seem like they have that peace. They don't seem like they have that shalom, that that wholeness. They don't seem like they have that completeness like they should. He's saying there's a day when all of those broken things will fall away. And the only thing that will remain is the eternal peace that Jesus has already accomplished. That's all we'll see. Verse 28 says, Therefore, because we have this eternal peace that's secured for us, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let's be in awe of what God has accomplished. To be in awe of what He secured. His purpose, God's purpose is to bring peace, to bring wholeness, to bring completeness. And he's doing that today in us as we're being transformed into the image of God. And he's calling us as he changes our community to move out into the world as a light in a dark place to bring completeness and to bring wholeness to those around us. But he's not telling us to do that out of our own strength. He's saying, remember that I've already secured this for you. I've already ensured that this will happen. And someday, someday he will speak again And all of the broken things in the world will fall away. And the only thing we'll know is that eternal peace because that's God's purpose, to bring peace. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. We look forward to the day where everything that can be shaken around us falls away. And we are fulfilled because we see you face to face. Lord, we want that for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for ourselves. We want to taste that wholeness and that completeness that comes from being in your presence, even today. Help us have a glimpse of that by your spirit in a supernatural way. Help us have just a taste of what it's like to see you and feel complete. Help keep our hearts and minds focused on you as we remind ourselves in communion of what you've done and respond with worship and praise before we go out into the world to strive for peace with everyone. In your name I pray, amen.